Welcome to Football Never Sleeps, our off-season YouTube uh, show that focuses on Notre Dame football. It was an outgrowth of our Monday Night Live show that we started in the fall. We just kind of rolled the dice with this, and you guys have made it a success, so we keep going and going and going, and it's kind of up to Tyler how far we go into the off-season, but we're definitely on tonight. We have a lot to talk about, including all kinds of transfer portal uh, comings and goings. We have well, more goings and comings. Um, we have the Blue Gold Game Review. Lots on the recruiting trail. The NFL Draft is coming up. And, of course, we'll take your questions. We'll work those in as we get to the various topics. And Tyler will give you a little tutorial here when I'm done rambling. But we, again, really appreciate your viewership. It means a lot to us. And we will take this as far as we can into the offseason. Yeah, we already have some eager viewers who have submitted questions in advance, so we appreciate that. Uh, a reminder that you are able to do that once we set up the link every week. Um, and um, I don't know exactly what frequency we'll do it, but I'd, I'd like to keep doing it as often as we can make it happen and as often as people want to hear from us. So um, at least in this current state of Notre Dame football, um, there's still plenty to discuss, certainly um, coming off of the blue-gold game and heading into the NFL draft this week uh, and the last few days of this open window for transfer portal entries. So we will um, continue to cover that both here on YouTube and uh, on InsideNDSports.com. Feel free to send us comments or just say hello. Even if you don't have a question, we appreciate those of you who interact with us um, and we will try to fit as many of your questions into the show as we can. Um, if you are, a newbie to the YouTube game. Um, if you're on a desktop of some version, uh, there should be a chat box to the right um, that allow you to submit questions, just like Zinc, who says hello, hello Zinc, thanks for joining us. Um, and if you are on a mobile device, the the chat box should be to the bottom of your of your little screen, or if you're on a, a, the YouTube apps. But make sure you're on either on either the YouTube site or the YouTube app to try to comment. If you're like live streaming this via our website insideindiesports.com then you're not going to have the access to comments and so make sure you are are using the YouTube interface to make sure that you you can do that. Um but uh Eric where do you where do you want us to get us rolling? I think you wanted to start with the uh, transfer portal uh as you said goings rather than comings. You're right. So we got some portal plungers. There's three notable ones, Tyler Buckner, uh Prince Collie and uh, Lorenzo Styles, and let's start with Tyler Buckner. It's the right most seismic, and it's the most recent. Um, Tyler, one you catch us. You did the reporting on it the other day. Why don't you catch us up to where we are with Tyler's situation? Yeah, so Tyler announced he was entering the transfer portal yesterday, uh, being Tuesday, and he, um, in that announcement, made it clear that he was still potentially open to the possibility of returning and had discussed that with head coach Marcus Freeman. Um, I don't see that as the most likely option at this point, um, but we will see how things sort of progress. Um, and the natural connection, um, if you spend a minute thinking about where it could be, it's like, well, uh, what, what's going down, down at, at Alabama? And so the my – the indications I've heard is that he was heading down to Alabama last night for a visit today. Um, we will see what that comes with. I, obviously, he has some interest in Alabama. 
Um, it's worth noting that when he entered his name into the transfer portal, he did so with the do not contact tag, which means don't reach out to me. I'll reach out to you if I'm interested. Um, so that tends to indicate that he has some sort of idea of which schools he wants to reach out to. Um, he, it's not like he just like decided yesterday that I'm going to get in the portal and, and figure things out. This is probably something he's been thinking about for a while, evaluating what schools would have needs for quarterbacks. And there's always sort of back channel communication that's happening about, okay, this is the situation at this school and this school. Um, so Alabama seems to be the first one up on that list. I can't speak to Alabama's insistence or urgency or like how badly they want Tyler Buckner. They certainly have a unsolved quarterback competition there. And uh, obviously we know Tommy Reese is the offensive coordinator and Tommy Reese has been Tyler Buckner's biggest supporter other um, other than his family members, it seems like uh, he offered Tyler Buckner as a very young high school recruit um, and um, made him Notre Dame starting quarterback going into last season. And uh, unfortunately didn't play out the way they wanted to last season with his shoulder injury. Um, but uh, I think uh, that's something that they, the Buckner family will, will sort of investigate and, and then see where things stand from there before they, continue to evaluate some more options. So um, certainly something that will impact Notre Dame. I think, I think one of the hot button questions is like, well, sh should Notre Dame take him back if he wants to come back? Um, and I think you have to, I don't know that you have much of a choice. I think you need him. Um, and we've talked about that all spring of how important it would be if he were to stick around and be able to continue to develop and, and put himself in a position to be next year's starter. Uh, so I think there's a pretty big gap Without Tyler Buckner between Steve Angeli and Sam Hartman, um, there's probably a, a, an even smaller, a, a much smaller gap between Steve Angeli and Kenny Minchie. Uh, so I think you would be in a precarious situation if something were to happen to Sam Hartman and Tyler Buckner were no longer on it, was no longer on the Notre Dame roster. Okay, so where we go from here is what do we think of the move? Let's look at it from Tyler Buckner's point of view. Yeah, I mean, if if Alabama wants him to be their starting quarterback, it's like, why wouldn't – I mean, it seems like, why wouldn't you try that? I mean, that that's uh, – I don't but know. Wouldn't that's, you think he'd have to compete? I would think – you would think so. Um, but, it, I mean, he has a more – he has a more – I, I mean, mean, Tommy's going to show Nick Saban the blue goal game and say, this is the guy – <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, he, he has a better chance, I mean, just as it stands today, to be Alabama's starting quarterback Absolutely. for their season opener than he does that to be Notre Dame's starting quarterback. So that's sort of the the question of, of yeah. how things are going there. Uh, I want to shout out Kirk DA Fitness, who gave us a super chat. Said, hey, guys, I've been a while since I've gotten – it's been a while since I've gotten to watch you guys live. I always watch a replay, though. Great stuff. Kirk, we really appreciate uh, the contribution you made to us, um, and, we, and we very much – uh, thank you and for joining we'll, us and, and, and glad you're and here. If those are your pictures, we need to work out with you. <laughs> yeah, maybe it sees us as potential uh, <laughs> clients because <laughs> clearly we're not on that level. Uh, but thanks for joining us, Kirk. Um, also, shout out to the Heart Foundation, who's here, who's a, a return viewer. Um, and uh, uh, <laughs> random question from Zinc: Do you know Pete Sampson? Yes, we know. We know Pete Sampson. We know everyone on the Notre Dame that, beat. That got a chuckle out of me. That's why I was <laughs> laughing during one of your answers. Um, so so back to Tyler Buckner 
is this a good decision for him? Like if, if Alabama seems to be that, that option for him, then I think that makes a lot of sense, but is, 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 I mean, I don't know. It's, it's sort of like Tyler or Tommy Reese's bet on himself. It's like, Hey, like I'm betting on myself. Alabama is the pinnacle of Notre or of college football. I want right. to go there and test myself and see if I can make it work. Um, and we've said that that could certainly backfire for Tommy Reese and he can maybe not um, hit the hit the level of success that he wants. And there will be a lot of pressure there if he does not um, have an offense that produces at a high level um, immediately in Alabama. And uh, certainly Tyler Buckner probably wouldn't have a very long leash if he became Notre Dame or Alabama starting quarterback. Um, and, and if he has some turnover issues, which he's had during his Notre Dame career, then uh, that would be a problem. But, I, I understand the want for him to look at other options. I, we we can we can sort of preach and understand the value of him behind sitting behind Sam Hartman and how long term maybe that can be the best solution for him. But you can kind of get pretty. I mean, there's no guarantee that he becomes the starting quarterback next year. Like who who's to say that um, Gino Gadouli, who did not recruit Tyler Buckner anyway, is going to feel that strongly about Tyler Buckner next season? Um, becoming Notre Dame starting quarterback, and so I think your you, your window as a college football quarterback is very small. Um, you don't get a lot of opportunities to sort of um take advantage of that. And so if he feels like there are there's another opportunity out there that allows him to better take advantage of this window of his peak athleticism and peak quarterback play, then I understand his decision. I don't think it's good news for Notre Dame if he leaves, but, um, and I'm, I, I don't know. I, I was blue gold game aside. I was impressed by the progress that Tyler Buckner made this yeah. spring. I thought he was improving as a quarterback. Um, and then to see the blue gold game in performance, it was a bit disappointing because it didn't sort of add up to what we had seen. Um, and, uh, I don't, it's, what, what is, what is the real, what does the real Tyler Buckner look like this year? I, I don't know that we can, any of us can really say that with confidence. So um, I'm rambling quite a bit here, Eric. What are your, what are your thoughts here about okay. uh, Tyler Buckner, uh, his decision? Is this the right decision for him? Well, if he had advised me, I would have not done this. I, and I think once you're in the portal, you can go back. I think it's difficult. I would have a hard time seeing that, but, you know, he's Alabama isn't his only option. Um, it sounds like Auburn's in play as well, and he would have a better chance to start there. The question is, what do you want to get out of this experience? And and do you think you're an NFL quarterback? And I'll ask you, do you think Tyler Buckner is an NFL quarterback, a future NFL quarterback? Uh, I would not be convinced of that currently, no. Uh, I wouldn't be either. I wouldn't rule it out. He is such an unknown because of the competition level he faced in high school, which wasn't completely his fault. The pandemic came just when he took a step up in competition and and canceled his senior season. Um, he's been injured so often. You know, if I'm his parents, I'm thinking, you know, that Notre Dame degree is pretty valuable in case, you know, this doesn't work out and football isn't in the cards for you because of, you know, injuries happening lots of times to you. I mean, it's not just been one injury. Right. Um, and I think being around Sam Hartman for a season 
is the best thing that can happen to Tyler Buckner. And he certainly seemed to enjoy it. Um, now, again, Alabama, you if you're going to be the starter there, that's pretty intriguing. The thing is, I can't imagine that Nick Saban would guarantee that to him. I think he would feel, feel really good that Tommy Reese is in his corner because he has been right when he's made other choices when I mean, he's made choices to not take other quarterbacks to not elevate other quarterbacks Tommy Reese has been consistent but he's not the boss at Alabama um and without having the spring football with him he's going to have to learn that offense more quickly than compete with those guys in August and there's four of them I mean none of them are very experienced and none of them are really established but but they have numbers there. It's not like you know he's going to walk in and be far and away the best quarterback they have. He could turn into that, and he could also be third string. I could see both things happening with him. Right. Um, I think if he had stayed at Notre Dame, and, and again he still might, learning under Sam Hartman, he would have a leg up on everybody going into twenty twenty four. Not not necessarily having the job, but he would be ahead of at least the guys on the roster. He would have to battle um, C.J. Carr coming in as a true freshman, which I think at least at the beginning of the season, and as long as he played well, he could hold off. So I think that was the better path. His it's interesting, uh, you know, his parents bought a place in South Bend. Uh, his younger sister is going to be a freshman on the Notre Dame soccer team in the fall, so they won't put that to waste. But uh, I don't know. I, I I just I don't think this is the best move for him, and he certainly can prove me wrong. But you know, he he's. I mean, this is the era we're in. You're, you know, I mean, we shouldn't be surprised at anybody being in the portal. No, and especially at the quarterback position, this happens all the time, everywhere. And, and a lot of times, it turns out well. There are a lot of scenarios where it's changed the trajectory of a player's career some people hasn't but but there are a lot of examples of of when it has so here's my thought in terms of like another thought of why it makes sense for him to try to play this year as a guy who's had injury issues that i think he if he if he sits on the bench for another year that just I think it, it just only shrinks his window of like, well, then he can't afford to get hurt again because then his then yeah. his basically career is done. If he goes somewhere and starts next year and gets hurt again, then maybe he finds another place to go and, and or he gets healthy and that place still has confidence in him to to return and, and be the starter. So I, I don't know how much that plays into mind, but I, I think yeah, I think I think you have to sort of maximize your opportunities to play, especially as a quarterback, um, because you, there's only one at a time that's playing. You don't. You're not going to be able to split reps very often. You're not going to. Um, <laughs> Except in 2021. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, he, he just needs Jack Cohn to come back, and then they can continue to continue to split split reps. But um, I, I think that that's something that I think has to at least be a part of this equation for him. Um, and uh, I think that uh, we'll see how, how it plays out for him. Um, one more, one more super chat from Kirk, DA Anderson Fitness. He says he's an ND alum. He's forty nine and a former fat guy. All right, yes, those are real picks. I'm an internal audit manager and a certified public accountant. Well, congratulations, Kirk. Um, maybe you will provide us some some inspiration. Um, and uh, 
what what do you think, Eric, in terms of what's left for Notre Dame without Tyler Buckner? If Tyler Buckner does not come back to Notre Dame, how how is how well or unwell is Notre Dame positioned to handle his departure? Um, I think the word that was tossed around about Steve Angeli is he's a functional quarterback. He knows the offense well enough to run it. I don't think he's a dynamic quarterback like uh, Sam Hartman or and in a certain extent, Tyler Buckner. Tyler Buckner was pretty dynamic with his legs uh, when he was on with his arm. We MVP of the Gator Bowl, um, you know, Tyler Buckner, the thing he hadn't gotten out of his game is that pick six kind of mistake in his game. But um, I would feel better about, you know, Angeli coming into a game than maybe I did the first time Drew Pine came into a game. Um, I I think uh, Kenny Minchie isn't ready, probably doesn't know the offense, but we both talked to Kenny, really bright kid. Yep. Picks things up incredibly fast. Really nice athlete. Saw enough of him in the blue, in the blue goal game to kind of get an idea. But by then, he didn't have the good receivers around him. Right. So he, he was throwing to, um, you know, guys that he probably didn't have much chemistry with. I love his upside. So do you go back to the portal and get a backup type quarterback with experience? I, I think not at this point. Uh, I think that you ride with Angeli and Minchie at this point. That's only three, um, but you know, and and if Sam Hartman gets hurt, you're not going to be a playoff contender. You could be a, a pretty good football team because there's enough around Steve Angeli. But I don't think you're going to win. You know, you're going to make those plays that get you over the top against Ohio State, Clemson, USC in those games. Not at least two out of three of them, which is what you need to get into the playoff. Yeah, I think I think that probably makes sense. I mean, it's hard. Like, who are you going to get in the portal that's good enough, that want, that is willing to sit behind Sam Hartman, that would actually make a difference in, in you being able to continue a potential playoff run? I don't, I don't know if that person exists. Um, and you'd probably rather – sort of wait till take to, Drew Pine back. <laughs> well, I think you, I think you at that point then you consider going into next season it's like okay, is Steve Angeli, Steve, Kenny Minchie and CJ Carr a good enough room for us going into this year and then you make that choice like if there's a great quarterback to bring in as the potential yeah. starter then I think right. your, your market is better for that in terms of that kind of quarterback that you would be looking for. Now that's probably going to force someone else to the portal again too and you're right. going to be in this vicious cycle but that's sort of the the game you sign up for when you're not developing your quarterbacks to a championship caliber level. Um, and you have to go to the portal to sort of, to, to sort of leapfrog those guys. And then you, you, you touched on 2024, what, yeah, you could wait until December then and go looking and see, you know, if, if there's a need, you could see how well this year, Steve Angeli and Kenny Minchie develop. And then you could say, you know, CJ Carr's coming in in January. You know, how ready is he? Uh, boy, I'll tell you what, though, if you've seen some video of him lately from his seven on seven stuff, uh, he is growing up. <laughs> Tom <laughs> Lemming um, had a bunch of recruits at the Golden Dome before 
the blue gold game and this kid comes from behind and kind of gives him a hug from behind and he's like who's this kid what college does he play for he didn't recognize it as cj Carr. he had grown up so much <laughs> um so uh he said he's not 190 anymore he's probably 210 all muscle um so again maybe he he's ready maybe he's not but uh they don't have to make that decision i don't think until december well, while we're on the quarterback conversation, I wanted to throw this question in from Mike DeVoy. Hi, Tyler and Eric. Great coverage this spring. Thank you, Mike. Uh, I couldn't watch the Blue and Gold game, but listened on the WSBT app. So nice promo for listening to Eric. If anyone else listened to Eric, please let us know. I I actually didn't listen to Eric, which uh, maybe I should go back and listen to see if he was making fun of me at all during the broadcast. But, um <laughs> Mike uh, said, it sounded like Steve Angeli played well. Is he a solid number two? What are his limitations slash weaknesses? Well, he's number two now. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's start with his um, strengths. Again, knowing the offense, I think he's a better than average athlete, but not really dynamic, really smart guy, really good leader, very mature. The guys on the team respect him. What are his limitations? I, I don't know that he. I don't know that he makes the unexpected play. I don't know that he makes the play mm-hmm. on third and eleven where, um, you know, his back is up against the wall. I think fundamentally he's sound. He does all the the things you expect him to do. But there's when you watch Sam Hartman, he does, and and it's not fair, I guess, to compare him, but. Um, he does things you don't expect him to do. He just with his footwork, with his patience, every little thing he can make a throw that in the tight, tight window. I don't know that Steve Angeli is at that point yet, but I don't think Steve Angeli is a guy that's going to throw a bunch of pick sixes either. Uh, I think you're just going to get very solid play from Steve Angeli. Yeah, he's almost. I would almost describe him as like a boring quarterback. Like, you know what you get with Steve Angeli. Like, this is this is Steve Angeli. You're not – I don't know that you're going to get a much higher level of play from him or a much lower level of play from him. You sort of get – he's like a steady quarterback. I don't know that he does anything to like an elite level. Like, I don't know that he has like a particularly strong arm. He's not a particularly great athlete. Um, now, maybe – we learned that he is particularly good at reading defenses and, and sort of anticipating throws. That's something that we don't have enough sort of experience to sort of judge him on with those things. That would be maybe a way that he could sort of separate himself um, if he were given the opportunity to, to play. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's sort of, he doesn't, he doesn't have the, the greatest arm. He's not, I don't know that he's like pinpoint accurate by any, by any stretch. Um, so I think he could be a a, a a reliable backup, but I don't think he's going to necessarily raise the level of the offense in any sort of way if he's asked to be, to be put in the game. Okay, are, so, go ahead. So, do you, are we done with the quarterback stuff, or do we have any yeah. more questions? Yeah, I think that was all the quarterback stuff. Okay, so we're going to move on to Prince Collie. Prince uh, is going to be a junior linebacker. Um, he was out about the last third of practices you know spring practice basically went for a month march 22nd to april 22nd but it was really compressed at the end the last third of it was compressed in a really small window and he missed 
a lot of that with a concussion. Right. And then he's in the portal, and uh, I don't think he's coming back. Um, no. You know, Vanderbilt has been mentioned as a top um, a top destination for him. I think he'll have some other uh, options as well. I think Prince just wants to play. I don't think he's super picky about where it is. And, you know, somebody asked me just before he put his name in the portal what I thought. And I thought it really was a coin flip because, you know, Al Golden was really encouraged by him. He he had a good first two-thirds of spring practice, but he really didn't have a chance to make his case that last third of spring practice. And so there was, you know, where do you stand? I think he was probably closer to third string than he was to first string at the weak side linebacker position. To me, the things that hurt Prince were, it just took him a long time to buy into the fact that he needed to be better than the best athlete at that position, that he needed to really be a student of the game. And And he finally did buy into that this spring. I think the other thing is versatility. You know, there was opportunity to be the backup middle linebacker and be the mm-hmm. starter next year. There was opportunity to maybe get in the rover mix. And he was really a weak side linebacker. And that's where all the congestion is on the roster when it comes to linebacker. Nolan Ziegler, who you know isn't as accomplished as Prince by any means, is higher on the depth chart because he moved to middle linebacker and he showed that versatility and had a really good spring. So it's unfortunate. Notre Dame is, I think, going to be in good shape at linebacker without Prince. I know people are worried about what he's going to turn into at the new school, but, uh, you know, it's just a numbers game with Prince. Yeah, it. I can understand his frustration. I mean, we – I think we and a lot of the fan base is wondering, like, okay, why was Maris Leofow playing so much last season? Right. And so if you're the guy that's behind Maris Leofow, you're like, what do I got to do to get out there? It's not like he's exactly tearing it up for us, obviously, although he was being asked to play more more snaps than anyone else on defense last year, he being Maris Leofow. So I think there was certainly some frustration from that last last season. Didn't seem to break through in any – way in terms of like a clear path to more playing time this season. I think it only became more crowded with Jack Kaiser being impossible with a linebacker. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of what led to that. I, I know the linebackers have sort of been the punching bag uh, uh, for so many folks in the fan base in the last year. And I understand wanting them to make more plays and, I feel like some of those guys, particularly J.D. Bertrand, is unfairly maligned in the, by the fan base. But I don't know. Like, if you're going to trust anyone to play the right linebacker, wouldn't it be the head coach of the <laughs> Marcus Freeman, who's a linebacker, yeah. was a linebacker himself, um, and he's going to want that position to succeed. So I don't know. Like, if if Marcus Freeman wasn't pounding the table to get Prince Cowley out on the field, then I. I, I sort of have to agree with him now. Does that mean Prince Cali can't have success at his next destination? No. Um, but I think he certainly came to Notre Dame with high expectations as the high school buck, buck high school buckus award winner. Um, but his career didn't play out in the same way that guys like 
Jalen Smith and Manti Teo, who are high school Buckus Award winners and became Buckus Award winners at, during their time at Notre Dame. And there's another Buckus Award winner on the roster now and Drake Bowen, so who plays the same position, although he's, I think, flexible enough to play either of those inside positions. And those freshman linebackers, they impressed the heck out of me in the blue goal game, a small yep. sample size. And we had seen flashes from those guys in the open practices that we had been to, so it wasn't big news. I, I think the one that startled me in a good way was Jaden Osbury, but all three of those freshmen looked pretty good. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't noted much activity from the limited spring practice viewings that we had in terms of what Jaden Osbury had been doing. Um, and so he certainly delivered uh, with some with some good plays. Could have potentially had a interception that he he sort of dropped that Tyler Buckner threw intended for Chris Tyree. Um, that I mean could have been a pick six if Chris Tyree fell down. <laughs> but uh, if you have Chris Tyree chasing you, you're probably not scoring on that play. Uh, but I think uh, yeah, he he played well. Preston Zinter did some things during the spring that that impressed me. I thought he he played well in the the blue gold game and Drake Bowen. I think that was probably the best I've seen him look um, since we've been watching him in the spring in the blue gold game. So you'd like to see that, especially from linebackers, which are kind of hard to watch in practice, especially for all the different things that they do. There's just not enough live periods that we get to see that are them actually doing things that you would be able to recognize as impressive um, in a practice setting, at least for us as non-linebacker coaches. Uh, so I, I think that those, those three guys um, and Nolan Ziegler – and Jalen Sneed create sort of a bright future at that linebacker position that that Notre Dame has been building, particularly under Marcus Freeman. Okay, so the third of the trifecta in the transfer portal was Lorenzo Styles, which is another kind of weird one where he, um, you know, he's their leading returning wide receiver in terms of receptions. Uh, takes Notre Dame's coaching staff up on a late switch in spring to cornerback, gets drafted as a two-way player for the blue-gold game, right. and the next day's gone. And uh, so I'm assuming that he's going to be a cornerback at his next stop. Um, you know, I don't, I, I don't blame him. There wasn't a clear path either side of the ball for him but I think there was a, with some patience, there was a chance to be a two-year starter um, if he redshirted this year or at least a starter uh, the following year and maybe a strong rotational player this year based on how quickly he could get back up to speed at cornerback. I mean, he's a breathtaking athlete, Yeah, but uh, he was probably no better than the fifth best wide receiver. Um with with the surge of this group and probably no better than what the fourth best cornerback maybe he could have gotten to cornerback number four and that's taking the nickels out of the situation i mean mickey right. and morrison and hart were definitely ahead of him yeah and and christian gray is going to be hard to hold off christian gray is a heck of a prospect too. And yeah. And, and I mean, Clarence Lewis has played so much cornerback. Even yeah. if he hasn't necessarily always played at the highest level, he's played so much that it's, you're right. going to have to really understand the defense to take, to take playing time away from him. Right. Um, I mean, so I think if he wanted to play right away, he made the right move. 
Yeah, and you started that by saying there wasn't the opportunity wasn't there for him. I mean, I, or to some extent, that's probably not a direct quote of what you said. There definitely was an opportunity for him at the wide receiver position. He just didn't necessarily show it and, and make make good right. use of it. I, I, listen, I was as big of a Lorenzo Styles supporter as there was. I thought he was going to be Notre Dame's number one um, wide receiver last year, although he did still lead the team in receptions, but not in, not because that was more of a lack of uh, production from anyone not named Michael Mayer than, than anything else. But um, certainly those younger wide receivers were pushing him for playing time. Um, I still think he probably still would have played in the rotation and, and would have saw – some action as a wide receiver. And then sure. if you make, then if you make some, make a couple of plays, then you sort of elevate quickly. Um, but I think he lost some of the faith from the quarterbacks, from the, the coaching staff with some of the drops he had last year. Um, and it's hard not to wonder if he would have been considering this move to cornerback for a while. Um, and it was sort of only setting up his, his departure to, to give cornerback a chance at his next destination. So um, what sounded like a guy that was really taking on the task of, of playing cornerback at Notre Dame um, feels a little bit different when he hit the transfer portal before the blue gold game um, and uh, didn't necessarily see things through there. It's, it's not like they were just going to put him in the starting lineup as a cornerback right away. Uh, so best of luck to him moving forward. I, there's a lot of athleticism there. Um, I think he has a very good, I like his attitude as a football player. Um, so if he can get those things all working together and, and find the right position for himself and find the right place for himself, I still still think there's a bright future ahead for for Lorenzo Styles. Had he felt he had a and the coaches felt that he had a safety skill set. Now there was a fit because he could have moved right into that rotation, made it a four-man rotation, right, and then had multiple years of eligibility and possibly been a starter the following year. Yeah. I think he's probably a little too slight to be a safety. Yeah. Um, that would have been like a more of a project type of thing than a, like a step right into sort of thing. Um, I wanted to throw in this comment that Jason Smith made. It was towards the end of when we were talking about the linebackers. It sort of applies here as well. Uh, Jason said those freshman linebackers look like they hit on them the same way they hit on the wide receivers. And I think that's a pretty good comment that Notre Dame's freshman linebackers and freshman wide receivers have, have really impressed. Chancey Stuckey said to us, um, in that last week before the Blue Bowl game that he felt that he's hit on those three wide receivers as freshmen um, and was really impressed with why, what they did this spring. Um, and certainly Jaden Greathouse uh, made him look pretty smart with his performance uh, during the Blue Gold game. Um, and uh, I think there's an opportunity uh, for Rico Flores Jr. to play, play some as a freshman at Notre Dame as well. I think um, if – Lorenzo want to play safety. He needed to go work out with Kirk. <laughs> I think that would uh, probably be a good decision. All right, we're going to transition to some blue gold get game talk. So I wanted to throw in this first question we have here from Bob Alvey. Um, Bob asked, was the poor old line play by the blue team a result of mistakes setting protection or were they just outplayed? What was the significance of the green jersey in the blue gold game? Okay, so the green jerseys were players that played for both teams. They didn't they were a little bit short of personnel on some teams so like Tyson Ford, Preston Zenter, can't remember who the other ones were, but there were a handful of them that were 
um, playing for both sides. The poor offensive line play by the blue team, I think some of it was just not being used to playing with each other. I mean, you chopped up all the chemistry to make the sides even. Right. And so I think you saw some good individual play here and there for both sides, but the continuity wasn't good. And I'll tell you what, the, the Notre Dame defensive line came to play all the way down the depth chart. Those guys uh, came to play. Yeah. I mean, there, there certainly were some mistakes. I think it was the first drive where Jordan Botello had an unimpeded path to, to Tyler Buckner. And you'd like to think, that with Tyler Buckner at quarterback, there would be better protection setting there. And I'm not sure who's to blame for that or if, if Tyler needs to know that Jordan Botello is the, the free the free pass rusher there and has to get rid of the ball there. But he was seemed like he was oblivious that, that Jordan Botello Jordan was unblocked coming from his blind side um, and the offensive line was sliding to his right. Um, and so I think that's one of the downsides of the blue-gold game. Like you said, like you're not – you're not using the five guys that played together, although they did seem to sort of separate them in terms of these guys have been working together on the left side and these guys mm-hmm. have been working together on the right side, like um, uh, the way that they had Blake Fisher and Andrew Christoffic playing together. That's how they've been practicing together. Um, and then Joe Alt um, and Billy Shrouth were, were teamed together on the left side for the gold team. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's a combination of things. I think, it's tough for Tyler Buckner in, in a blue gold game setting when he's wearing a red Jersey to, to sort of stay back there. Cause sometimes his instinct is to run and then he sort of runs himself into trouble that he could probably break out of in a real situation, but they're going to sort of say that he got sacked in a, in a blue gold game situation. He also though ran up the middle a couple times where it's like, well, you're down if you get <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's like some like the instinct kicks in and then he's like, Oh, well, I guess, I don't know. I, 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 Tyler Buckner's. It, it almost felt like to me that first series went so poorly. He's like, he sort of went in the went in the tank pretty quickly. Um, it just looked like he he did not have the confidence that we saw him play with at times this spring, um, and was was not really um, firing on all all cylinders. And I don't maybe the transfer portal decision looming was was on his mind and maybe that played a role in how well Sam Hartman started that game was like man I guess I guess I'm out of here um I, I don't know if that started creeping into his head or not but it, it did not look like the Tyler Buckner that we had seen um in this All spring right. and and even he's played certainly better uh in game settings um than he did at times there but I, I certainly there was room for improvement with the offensive line it's such a it's a position that has to play together so well and when you're mixing and matching guys it's a little bit difficult but sam hartman was making it work i mean he yeah it wasn't like the white line was perfect no and like his last touchdown drive i think he was quinn murphy at left guard and michael carmody at left tackle so it wasn't like joe wall and billy strouth (laughs) were still in there uh so he he was still making it work with um some backup offensive linemen in there as well so um you got to make the best of the situation and um I thought there were people saying that maybe the gold team was better than the blue team and Sam Hartman was put in a better position. I don't, I don't know. It they seemed had pretty a draft. Fair. Yeah, it seemed pretty fair to me. It's not like Sam Hartman was loaded with all the best receivers. Now, J- Jaden Thomas certainly played really well. 
Um, it made yeah, it. Yeah, but made Tobias him... Merriweather was on the other team. Right, right, and they that just was the get star it. of just... the spring behind yeah. the scenes. Yeah. So, um, and he had Audric Estime. Yep. All right, let's stop beating. Let's stop beating up on Tyler Buckner. <laughs> um, well, I, I'm, I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's not the end of the world. But I mean, Sam Hartman played great, and right. uh, I still think Tyler Buckner's a really good quarterback. And I wrote after the game, I think he put himself in a position that he wasn't at the beginning of the spring, and that's the favorite to be the quarterback in 2024. And he ruined my column by leaving <laughs> <laughs> or at least strongly contemplating leaving. <laughs> what what other major takeaways did you have from the blue gold game eric um you know i came up with four position groups that i thought still had unfinished business in, mm-hmm. in different ways and I, the linebacker was because they have too much depth and i and prince collie taking off is alleviate some of that. I, I still think they have to decide, okay, what's happening with Jack Kaiser. Jack didn't play in the blue gold game. He had an injury. I think he's going to end up being the starting weak side linebacker. I think they're going to move Maris Leofau into a more specialist role where he maybe rushes the passer here, does some other things, but I, you know, I think he's going to share time at that position. I, I think Jalen Sneed and, uh, Jaden Osbury are are exciting in the rover positions, although Jalen played some uh, weak side linebacker. Nolan Ziegler really positioned himself. You, you know, the younger guys are going to get rotated in this year, and I think the older guys will be better for it. And uh, so that's that position group. Then I looked at safeties. They need to add somebody. I mean, they have three really good safeties and very little depth they they need to add from the portal. The defensive line, they made tremendous strides, but they are at an increment. They need to become difference makers. They need, you know, Riley Mills and some of their better guys need to really step it up and continue that ascent in the offseason. Right. And then tight ends, there were so few of them that were healthy, holding the stays, <laughs> but – but, you know, they're going to have to get that sorted out and see how they can become kind of a weapon in in mass rather than somebody individually. I still think Mitchell Evans is the best of that bunch now. I think Eli Reardon is the best of that bunch in the future. Uh, but I think they need to kind of define their roles and figure out how how they can have those multiple tight end formations and be effective. I think we'll see a lot more. Uh, three wide receivers than we see two tight ends this year, though. Yeah, um, the answer at tight end is clearly feed my guy David Sherwood more. Um, I thought he, <laughs> I thought he played pretty well, um, and I'm interested to see what his role is this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the three wide receiver thing is probably likely. We didn't see a ton from Chris Tyree in terms of making plays in the in the blue gold game, but um, the confidence from the coaching staff in him. And his teammates sounded like it was continuing to increase throughout the spring. And he had really ascended uh, as, I mean, he, he's also, I think a guy that sort of changed, changed things a bit for Lorenzo styles that, that the opportunity to potentially play in the slot was not necessarily there for Lorenzo styles either. So um, I think that uh, those are all pretty good positions. I don't know. I don't know that I would add any other positions to that list. Um, 
I, I was uh, enthused, I guess, by, by the play of some of the reserve defensive linemen. I thought some guys stepped up, I, whether it was Tyson Ford or, or Joshua Burnham, sort of making some flash plays um, and doing right. some things um, with, with some opportunities there. Jason Anye showed a little bit of why we had heard so many good things about him this spring. Um, so what kind of in- impact will those guys have on the season? I, I don't know. I think Anya is of that, of those three guys I mentioned there um, certainly has the opportunity to, to play a, a, the biggest role potentially um, junior Tui Halamaka, I think did a little, did um, some good things in, in the blue gold game. And I think that is an important position in terms of having someone to spell Jordan Botello there at that Viper spot. Um, we didn't really get to see Javante Jean Baptiste do much of anything. Um, in the blue gold game, so that was a little bit disappointing. But I think we saw him warm up. <laughs> uh, so I think that uh, there's still answers to that need to be made there. But I think there the options seem to be there in terms of guys that could could make an impact this season. And there's a freshman, Brennan Vernon. I think could come in and possibly yeah. get some playing time at that position. He's a physically impressive dude for sure. So anything else in the blue gold game that caught your fancy? Um, not, let me, let me uh, go through my list one more time to make sure that I didn't miss anything, but I I think we touched on everything. There were some guys like we mentioned Jaden Osbury that I thought did some nice things. Um, I think, uh, Jay, I, I guess, we, I don't know that we talked a ton about Jaden Thomas, but I thought he played really well. I thought that was nice yeah. to see sort of him being on the same page with Tobias or with Sam Hartman. We we heard so much talk about Tobias Merriweather this spring, but to right. see Jaden Thomas sort of ascend a bit and be on the be a potential go to guy for Sam Hartman, um, whether it was stretching the field or uh, making guys miss and running through tackles um, to get into the end zone, I thought that was a, a pretty impressive performance. That. Probably got overshadowed by Jaden Greathouse because of the number of catches that he had and him being a yeah. freshman. Everyone everyone wants to talk about the new name, but Jaden Thomas is one of those veterans that I think sometimes we forget about um, as they continue to develop in the program. I think he has a, an opportunity to have a have a really big season for Notre Dame. Do we have any questions before we go on to recruiting? We have a transfer portal question from Frank Sarah. Hey, guys, I am concerned that we are not hearing any updates on possible grad transfers. Will ND strike out this cycle? I don't think so, Frank. They have uh, the the portal is open, and there's still new people coming into it uh, through April 30th, which is coming up in a few days to the end of the day. And then, even then, they don't have to be at their new school. They don't have to have chosen their new school. They just have to have their name in the portal. And so, I I don't think they're going to strike out at safety. I think they'll find somebody. You know, at the other positions, if they're looking, I mean, they could still look for a defensive lineman. They could still look for an offensive lineman, but they need somebody to leave. I don't think they're going to add an offensive lineman if nobody leaves. Right. Um, if they need some depth, they could they could go there. But there's not, uh, other than safety, there's not a huge urgency uh, to add at, at those positions. But they, they have time. Um, so I, I wouldn't worry about it yet. If we're having this discussion in the middle of May, then I'd say, okay, yeah, maybe they're um, having trouble. But generally they get the players that they want in in May. So, 
I yeah, if, if if there were a grad transfer wide receiver that could maybe fill the void that they thought Kale Smith was going to uh, play, I think that maybe that could be an option for Notre Dame. I don't know that it's it's a like a high priority um, because of the development you've seen there, but I think adding guys with experience at positions like that um, certainly wouldn't hurt. But I don't know that Notre Dame is going to. I don't know what the market is going to be for those kind of guys because I think most players ent- entered earlier this year. So I think it's been probably picked three picked through pretty good. Um, but we'll see if um, maybe there's, there's someone no on guarantee that they'll, they'd start. In fact, the chances of them starting aren't good. So they would most likely be in that second or third tier receiver. Right. Um, and do you want to elevate your freshman right away? Um, or would you rather take a grad transfer? I think that's a, that's a, uh, a question that Chancey Stuckey would have to answer and feel confident in the answer for that in terms of making that decision there. Um, safety, I think it certainly seems like the the highest need. We'll see what they can bring in there. Um, but yeah, it's not like it's not too late. The, the, the this cycle is just getting started. I, I feel like, I don't know. I haven't been monitoring it that closely because we were so like involved with spring football, but like, I don't know that a lot of the guys that have entered the portal have already like, exited the portal with new commitments i think this this process is just getting started um so i i think that especially at the end of the semester a school semester i think it's probably a little bit difficult for guys to sort of find a destination right away um whereas like at the beginning of january it's a little bit easier um or at the end of december when when school isn't even in session to you can sort of sort through things and and get that figured out okay on to recruiting and there were scads of recruits of different varieties at the blue gold game. There were committed 2024 players. There were 2024 targets. There were 2025 targets. Uh, there were kids that are going to be enrolling in June from the 2023 class. Right. Uh, but there were also verbal commitments. So let's look at those first. Um, let's start with, Cole Mullins from the 2024 class. He wasn't the first, but um, what do we think of Cole Mullins, a defensive end from Georgia? Yeah, and Cole wasn't on campus this past weekend. He was on campus earlier in the week and ended up committing to Notre Dame or announcing his commitment to Notre Dame on Saturday. Uh, a three-star outside linebacker who what didn't even have a rating prior to his commitment to Notre Dame and, and our rivals analysts circled back to make sure that they – evaluated him um rivals is actually in in the middle of replacing a, a southeast analyst so um was a little exposed to in georgia and florida for for rankings updates and there's been some action in those states for us as notre dame uh reporters uh but notre dame projects projects him as a defensive end six foot four 240 pounds um from from georgia as i mentioned uh had offers from usc miami stanford north carolina um becomes Notre Dame's second defensive line commitment in the class, joining Owen Wafel. So Notre Dame has had a lot of defensive linemen come to campus and feel Notre Dame feel good about, but it hasn't really had anyone pull the trigger for quite some time with Owen Wafel having been in the class for a while. Um, and so getting him in the class, I think, sort of marked the start of a, a, a cycle of momentum for Notre Dame here in the 2024 class, I think. Notre Dame has a clearer picture of how things are playing out um, along the defensive line and felt confident in taking Cole 
Cole Mullins on as a commitment. Um, certainly, I think he's a bit of a project as of now, um, but I do think that Notre Dame is high on him and um, likes likes its, its chances with some other defensive linemen um, that it's recruiting in the class. Um, and I think they'll go potentially six deep uh, along the defensive line in this class. Okay, and then the other kid that committed was also a defensive lineman. Is it Davion Dixon? I think it's Davion. I'm not 100% Davion. sure. Okay. Um, we'll go with Davion Dixon. Um, a 2025 kid from Miami. Um, top 250 type prospect. And uh, I think the 10th best defensive tackle in the 2025 class. What What's the thumbnail on Davion? Yeah, big kid. 6'2", 300 pounds. Um, but he's also got some quickness to him. He's not, he's not, he's not, he doesn't lumber out there on the field. He is a guy that likes to pass rush, um, but can also eat up some blocks there in the middle of the defense. So, um, I think, uh, more of a traditional nose tackle than what we've seen in recent years for Notre Dame. I think, um, we've seen a lot of undersized defensive or nose tackles for Notre Dame. Um, and, and Davion Dixon seems to be, more along the traditional size there in terms of um, being a big-bodied guy. Um, not the tallest guy, but I don't think that height is the most important thing there at that nose tackle position. Um, so had some good offers. I mean, Florida, Florida State wanted him to keep him in state. Um, Penn State, Michigan State, Auburn among his offer list. Um, so he becomes the first commitment in that 2025 class. Uh, I think Notre Dame is in some good spots with some other guys there too. I don't know that we're going to see necessarily a run on 2025 commitments quite yet, um, but to get that class started is a good thing. And to, to bring a guy in from Florida, which Notre Dame hasn't necessarily been killing it in with Florida recruiting. And we'll see if maybe Notre Dame can get things going there again, um, because obviously there's plenty of talent in that state. Um, but when you talk about a guy from a Jesuit school in Miami, um, you like you like um, being able to pull him out of Florida. Miami hadn't offered yet, so um, I don't know if that would be a game changer for him if if Miami decided to try to keep him home. But um, a good a good way to start the 2025 class for for Al Washington, who I think the the context is important this time last year. Um, he started the 2024 class with a defensive line commitment from Brandon Davis Swain, um, who committed during his blue gold game visit and then is no longer committed to Notre Dame. So got to make sure you hold on to the, those early commitments as well. So that is worth at least monitoring and being aware of, but um, Davion saying all the right things in terms of why he wants to come to Notre Dame. Okay. And I'll let you go into as much detail as you're allowed to go into here. It <laughs> seems like, uh, you know, there are there's some positive momentum coming out of the blue gold game with recruiting. What do we think that that might look like coming up here in the coming week or so? Yeah, so I've since the blue gold game, I put in three rivals future cast predictions in favor of Notre Dame um, for Bryce Young, an outside linebacker who Notre Dame is recruiting at defensive end, the son of Bryant Young. Um, he's announcing his decision on Saturday. Um, so I think that Notre Dame will end up getting his commitment. Uh, wide receiver Micah Gilbert's a four-star. who's actually high school teammates at Charlotte Christian with Bryce Young. was also on campus this past weekend. He's announcing on Tuesday. Um, I think Notre Dame will end up getting him as well. Um, and then the third prediction I made is for someone who doesn't have a planned announcement date currently, and that is three-star wide receiver Isaiah Canyon out of uh, Georgia, a six-foot-four wide receiver. Um, so Notre Dame – 
can potentially be making some significant progress there at the wide receiver position and adding to a class that for now only has Cam Williams, a, a top 100 uh, level player um, that Notre Dame really likes a lot. Um, but obviously Notre Dame wants to fill out that class. I think Notre Dame is trying to figure out if it wants to take three or four wide receivers in this class um, after taking four in the previous cycle. Um, I would recommend four. I always say, I, I think, I think you should always take four wide receivers basically because not every wide receivers don't always stay and you can usually move a wide receiver to a different position at some point in their career if it doesn't pan out. Um, so I, w- I would be a proponent of, of pushing for four. And I think Notre Dame's in a good spot with Jason Robinson as well um, out of California who visited early last week. Um, so some positive momentum there for Notre Dame at those positions. I think um, we'll see if anyone else wants to make a decision here. Now we're, we're shifting into the evaluation period. Notre Dame's coaching staff will be out on the road starting tomorrow, Thursday, um, to check out recruits in the 2024, 2025, and even 2026 classes um, and be stopping in and get a sense of of where they're at going into sort of official visit season. That's sort of the next big thing for Notre Dame is lining up official visits for June. They're eyeing two different weekends in June. Uh, I think it's the second and third weekend in June. Uh, where Notre Dame would like to get most of its top remaining targets back on campus um, and try to see if they can wrap up their recruitments going into their senior seasons. And I mean, just looking on our visitors list on the insider lounge, it looks like those offensive visits are starting to fill up in June, which is with some pretty good prospects too, which is interesting to see. So, um, okay. Do we need to hit any questions before we do a quick NFL preview? Um, I don't think so. I don't see any questions. Lots of comments. Thank you, Jason Smith, for chiming in. Um, Drunk Vigo said he loved all the drama, bro. I don't know what the drama was, but <laughs> we appreciate him stopping by. Um, and uh, but no, no more, no Maybe more the questions. Portal drama. Oh yeah, the portal drama. That's never ending. Uh, <laughs> that is for sure. Let's. And we uh, love to be called bro. Let, <laughs> let's talk about the NFL draft coming up. You're going to be leading our NFL draft coverage with the draft starting Thursday night and expecting Michael Mayer to be the first selection for Notre Dame. What, uh, what are you expecting from how, in terms of how many guys will get drafted from Notre Dame and where do you think besides Michael Mayer, where do you think the rest of those guys could end up? Well, and just looking at some of the seven round mocks from people that I respect, including Dame Brugler, from the athletic, it could be as few as three. It could be just Michael Mayer in the first round, Isaiah Foskey in the second or third, and then uh, Jarrett Patterson on day three, which is rounds four through seven. Jarrett Patterson is a much better football player than fourth through seventh round, but he's got a medical history that I think is a little scary. He didn't have the best productive year as a guard um, playing with a bad foot the whole year. Uh, but he gives some pl- position flexibility. I think whoever gets Jarrett Patterson is going to be really, really happy and feel like they got a steal. And then you kind of look at some of the guys like Brandon Joseph. He was invited to the combine, tested, um, you know, and and again missed the last third of the season because of uh, an injury, uh, but played well for Notre Dame. He had an All-American year as a sophomore at Northwestern, then dropped way off as a junior, built some of that equity back up um, in his year at Notre Dame. 
you know, you look at the Adam Malola twins, maybe Jason Adam Malola or Tariq Bracey, you know, somebody like that gets drafted in the seventh round. You have Blake Groupie who'd like to make it as a uh, undrafted free agent, a kicker. And, you know, I know uh, Bo Bauer is trying to make it as a long snapper and a <laughs> special team, special teamer, you know, having been injured uh, his last season at Notre Dame. So there's a handful of guys like that that could possibly, uh, I think, you know, will end up in a camp and, and probably make the roster. Uh, but, um, you know, Michael Mayer, it'll be interesting to see where in the first round he goes, probably could go as low as the mid twenties and probably as high as the middle of the first round. Um, and he'll be the 11th straight starting tight end from Notre Dame to be drafted. That goes all the way back to Anthony Fasano in 2006, the last Notre Dame starting tight end not to be drafted was Billy Palmer, who preceded uh, Anthony Fasano. Sorry for the unfortunate shout out there, Billy Palmer. <laughs> um, what, well, I mean, what Jesse you thought... Palmer's little brother, he's used to maybe not <laughs> always having the positive press. What, what What are your thoughts? I mean, there's been a lot, we've talked a little bit about this in terms of Mayer being the number one tight end in this draft. I don't, I, I know you're not necessarily an expert on all the other tight ends, but would you be surprised if another tight end is, is drafted ahead of Michael Mayer? No, I mean, if somebody fell in love with Utah's Kincaid, I, I could see him going ahead of it. I mean, he's a little bit freakier of an athlete and he was really productive this season. Um, you know, if they're looking for a little bit different type of, they're not exactly the same type of tight end, but mm -hmm. I think um, people that pass on Michael Merrill be kicking themselves. Um and I think he's going to be a really good player for a long, long time. You know, he's the 22nd true junior to come out for Notre Dame since the NFL opened its doors to underclassmen in 1989. He'll be the fifth, likely the fifth first rounder among those 22. All right. I got a question here from Jason Smith. It's about recruiting that I thought I could answer really quickly. Um, Jason asks, is there a running back you think they are in the lead for um, Notre Dame? Already has a 2024 commitment for from Aeneas Williams in the in in that class, and is looking to add another running back to join him. Um, the guys that I'm watching right now are Keedron Young, um, who is from Texas. I believe he will get up to campus for an official visit um, in June. Um, so it's hard to say that they're in a lead for him until he gets on campus. Um, but I think Notre Dame's right there in the mix for him. And then Darian Dupree from the Chicago area. Um, I think it's probably a Wisconsin and Notre Dame battle there. Um, so we'll see how that sort of shakes out. I would expect those those are the two best candidates to join Notre Dame's class on the running back position. Anthony Carey's a guy that Notre Dame continues to sort of work on is trying to get him on campus for an official visit this summer. You never know if something like that can work out. There's uh, um, a big of, kid from Lufkin, Texas. What was that kid's name? That's Keedron Young. That was the first okay. kid that I mentioned. Okay. Um, and then, uh, Anthony Carey sort of reminds me a little bit of the Richard Young. I, he's not as highly ranked as Richard Young was last year, but someone that get him on campus and see how it goes and see if you can get a shot there. But I don't know that Notre Dame has a really good chance at, with Anthony Carey, but, um, that's someone that Notre Dame is continuing to recruit. All right. That's all I got for us, Eric. You got anything else you want to shout out before we get things going out of here? I just want to tell everybody, we really appreciate you 
subscribing. I forgot to nag you guys about that. Subscribe, <laughs> hit the notification bell. But thank you for those who have subscribed. It's really helping us. Um, and it's encouraging us to continue to do the show. We we're going to do it a couple weeks in January and then call it an off season. And, uh, and it's just been building. And so we, we appreciate all you asking your questions, your comments, giving us fitness tips. Um, and, uh, you know, just being here with us, keeping us company. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a special shout out to Kirk for sending us the donations with the super chats. We, we, we very much appreciate that. Um, like Eric said, make sure you're subscribed. Um, if you really like what we're doing, make sure you subscribe to InsideNDSports.com and get all the information ahead of when you would hear it here. We give you much more information about the, what's going on behind the scenes with recruiting. Um, and so we hope that you check us out there. We get a lot of information on the Insider Lounge. We've been doing all kinds of stories about the kids who visited last weekend. Um, and Charles DeBowles has been doing a really good job for us um, here in his first month. And so I'm really excited about where things are headed for us in the recruiting coverage front. Um, and we appreciate everyone supporting us here. We plan to keep coming back to you guys throughout throughout the offseason with an unclear schedule, but give us some time to sort of think about that. And that's why it's important to set that notification reminder um, so you know when we have something scheduled. All right. Have a great week and enjoy the NFL draft.